Hello and welcome to the episode 90 of What A Fab Day. I am your host, Simon Mas. Today, we have the first live performance in a month, more work on the Sgt. Pepper's album, and the final fallout. On the 31st of March 1962, the Beatles, featuring Pete Best on drums, performed their first Southern gig organized by their new manager, Brian Epstein. It was their second-ever show in the south of England, after the debacle of the engagement procured by promoter Sam Leach on the 9th of December 1961. Check out episode 343 of What A Fab Day for more information. The venue was rather obscure, a place called Subscription Rooms in Stroud. This time, the night had been booked through the Canna Variety Agency in London, whose support helped making the event a success. Violinist Jack Fallon, running the agency with Bill Fraser Raid, was also the organizer of dance nights in the Western Counties, another chance for the Beatles to play away from Liverpool. The Beatles shared the stage with the Rebel Rousers. The doors opened at 8.30pm and the event was concluded by 11.45pm. Teddy boys and ladies in stiletto heels were not allowed in, and I quote a flyer advertising the event at the request of the council. Jack Fallon would return in this story on another occasion and with another role. Years later, he played violin on Ringo Starr's Don't Pass Me By, as we will see in episode 193 of What A Fab Day. Moving on to 1963, for the final night of the National Package Tour with Tommy Rowe and Chris Montez, the Beatles performed at the De Montfort Hall in Leicester. The tour had been a success for the band, which managed to completely obscure the two American artists on the stage with powerful and inspired performances. One could say that another final performance took place on the 31st of March 1964. Once again, the Beatles were at the Scala Theatre in London to shoot the climax of their A Hard Day's Night film, the TV performance. This time, though, they had a performance in front of 350 screaming teenagers, including a 13-year-old child actor Phil Collins, who would later achieve world fame as Genesis drummer and singer and as a solo artist. Each extra was paid according to union regulations. The band mimed Tell Me Why and I Love Her, I Should Have Known Better and She Loves You, along with other songs that were not used for the film. You Can't Do That, for example, was certainly filmed. After the end of the shooting, the Beatles rushed at the Playhouse Theatre in London for an evening session for BBC Radio and their next Sunday Club show, aired on the 4th of April between 10am and 12 noon. Between 7 and 10.30pm, inclusive of rehearsal time, the band was interviewed by host Brian Matthew and recorded Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, I Call Your Name, I Got a Woman, You Can't Do That, Can't Buy Me Love, Sure to Fall in Love With You, and Long Tall Sally. It was the first proper live performance the band had given since the 28th of February, and it sounded fresh and energetic, much more convincing than other routine performances the band had recorded for BBC. During the breaks, John Lennon was interviewed twice. First, 
for the BBC Home Service Radio Network and then for the A Slice of Life programme. More filming went on in 1965. The Beatles were at the Twickenham Film Studios to continue the shooting for their second feature film, Eight Arms to Hold You, as it was called at this stage. Time to remind you to be fab and please support me and my efforts to put out more and better music-related content for you to enjoy for free. How? Find that out visiting www.simonmas.com support at the end of the episode. You'll find the link in the episode description along with that of the podcast bibliography full of Amazon affiliate links for your Beatles shopping needs. You can make the difference in a number of ways, as you will find out. Thank you for helping out me and the cause of music knowledge. On the 31st of March 1967, the Beatles were again at the EMI Studios. This time, from 7pm to 3am, they recorded yet more overdubs for being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, with two extra tracks, a glockenspiel and another organ. The recording was sandwiched between two mixing sessions. The day had started with the creation of 15 monomixes of With a Little Help from My Friends, and it was concluded with the making of seven monomixes of Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. In 1969, John Lennon and Yoko Ono concluded their seven-day burying in Amsterdam and moved to Vienna. After taking possession of their room at the Hotel Sacker, they held a press conference there to promote the broadcast on Austrian TV of their film, Rape. It was the chance to try a new happening concept. The couple decided to hold their press conference hidden inside a white bag, calling the idea Bagism. You can see a clip about it from an Austrian TV program, linked in the episode description. Back in England, it was on this date that George Harrison and his wife Patty pleaded guilty to possessing cannabis on the very first day of their trial. As you might recall from episode 71 of What a Fab Day, the couple had been charged with possession of illicit substances after a police raid on their home. George and Patty were fined and put on probation for one year. Finally, in 1970, Ringo Starr appeared live on BBC Radio 2's Open House, aired from the Broadcasting House in London, from 9 to 9.55am. He talked about Sentimental Journey with the show's host, Peter Murray, and read several letters from the listeners of the programme. Ringo commented on each Beatles solo project, maintaining, as he had done recently on Frost on Sunday, check episode 88 of What A Fab Day for that, that after the completion of those projects, the Fabs might have worked together once again. Things weren't that easy anymore, though, as Ringo was soon going to find out. It wasn't just that the Beatles were working on their own solo projects, but that they, now, couldn't see eye to eye on many things. One of these was the schedule of the releases of these projects. Apple was planning to release Let It Be on the 24th of April, to coincide with the premiere of the film. This created a conflict. Paul's McCartney, his first solo LP, was scheduled for release on the 10th of April, and this quick succession would certainly hurt the sales of both albums. 
John Lennon wrote to EMI to advise the move Paul's album's release to another date, and the label decided to push it to the 4th of June. He and George Harrison wrote a letter to Paul McCartney to explain the situation, and Ringo agreed to bring it to Paul in person, instead of having it delivered by an errand boy at Apple. Paul did not react to the letter very well. In the anthology, years later, he explained. Ringo came to see me. He was sent, I believe, being mild-mannered, the nice guy, by the others because of the dispute. So Ringo arrived at the house, and I must say, I gave him a bit of verbal. I said, you guys are just messing me around. He said, no, well, on behalf of the board and on behalf of the Beatles and so and so, we think you should do this, etc. And I was just fed up with that. It was the only time I ever told anyone to get out. It was fairly hostile, but things had got like that by this time. It hadn't actually come to blows, but it was near enough. Ringo was terribly taken aback. He reported back to Apple, and John and George decided to let McCartney come out on the 10th of April and postpone the Let It Be album instead. It took some years for the relationship between Paul and Ringo to recover. And quite frankly, while I personally can't see why Paul McCartney was really upset and, in his own words, overreacted, he was not completely without blame. Having put together his album in complete secrecy was, naturally, a way to escape the pressure and the infights with his bandmates, something that had marred his life throughout 1969, but this also meant that George, John and Ringo and the people at Apple and EMI had made plans without knowing that he had an album ready for release too. As usual, it's very easy to talk when one is not involved and years down the line, but what I would like for you to do is to try and see the situation from every point of view. I don't often give you my opinion, but in this case, I feel it's impossible to put the blame on any one person. Paul felt taken advantage of. Ringo felt heartbroken and betrayed by a friend. George and John only wanted Larry B to come out at the set date because it involved more preparations and headaches. That's the tragedy of the end of a long friendship. And as sad as it might be, I think we have to end this episode on this note. Tomorrow, we'll have a big episode, as it happens on every first of the month. For the moment, I wish you a good day and a fab continuation. Simon Mas, music you love.